Thanks for joining us, folks. We are uh, going to have the JJ Keller webinar in just a moment here. We are going to let all our audience members settle in for just a minute or two, and then we will start the presentation shortly. Thank you. Once again, folks, thanks for joining us today for our JJ Keller webinar hosted by Safety and Health Magazine. We're gonna wait just a minute or so until our audience gets settled in and we will begin the presentation shortly. Thank you very much. Hello everyone and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. A former OSHA compliance officer's perspective, what stands out during an inspection? Sponsored by JJ Keller. My name is Barry Botino and I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health. I'll be moderating today's event. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping items to share with you all today. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organization are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a Q&A with our speakers. If you have a question, just click on the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type in your question, and press the send button. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin to send a question. We welcome your questions at any time during today's event. After this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. This webcast will be archived so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com events, or you'll receive a link in our post-event email. With that, let's introduce our presenters. With us today are Holly Pups and Ed Zaleski. Holly is an EHS editor with JJ Keller. She researches, writes, and edits content on a variety of subjects concerning environmental compliance and best practices. Ed is a senior editor at JJ Keller where he specializes in issues such as walking working surfaces, powered industrial trucks, and injury and illness record keeping. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation today. And Holly, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Well, today's webcast is brought to you by the JJ Keller Safety Management Suite. Finally, a safety solution that works as hard as you do. The Safety Management Suite streamlines compliance at every level of your business, making it easy to develop, implement, and maintain an industry-specific safety program. And because your success is our priority, today's attendees will be offered complimentary access on, to the compliance resources and tools in the safety management suite. So on behalf of our sponsor, thank you for joining us.
Um, so again, Barry, thank you very much for the warm welcome. Um, before I get into, I guess, the nitty gritty of this presentation, um, I would like to take a moment to touch base on the role of safety and health in the workplace. Um, it is commonly misconstrued that OSHA is out to get the employer. They're there to shut businesses down, but OSHA's goal is to protect employees just as we do as safety professionals. So between OSHA and your role in safety, um, we are all here to help make the employer make decisions to, to prevent accidents and make sure that all employees get home in the same condition that they got to work in. So <laughs> who am I and why am I telling you about this today? Um, I am a safety professional. I've been in the field for about 14 years, and I also happen to be a former OSHA compliance officer for the state of North Carolina. Um, throughout this presentation, you'll hear me reference compliance officer or COSHO. That's just short for compliance, safety, and health officer. But so as I said, I've been in safety for well over a decade, um, in that time, I've investigated multiple fatalities, hospitalizations, amputations, and have visited more construction sites than I would probably care to remember. Um, with that, though, I, I talk about this because I've been on both sides of the fence. Um, I have a background in engineering, consulting, I've been in pharmaceuticals, I've been a little bit all over the place, but a jack of all trades is a common thing for those of us in safety. Um, so when I was a compliance officer, um, I will tell you that my name was, or I was considered COSHO PUPS, Compliance Safety Health Officer PUPS. That is the least intimidating compliance officer name that I think you could have show up on your site. Um, I know other folks walk in and they're big and scary and OSHA is here, but for me, I used that the best I could to connect with employers and help them better understand. So with that, um, I hope to share my experiences and some of the things that I noticed in my inspections with you guys here today. So there are a lot of factors that influence the course of an OSHA inspection. There are certain characteristics, some positive, some negative, that compliance officers may notice and ultimately can dictate the scope and overall intensity of that inspection. It may also impact how thoroughly the inspector uh, starts looking into your safety and health program and your facilities. During this webcast, we will talk about the best practices you can implement to minimize some of these negative factors and emphasize the positive ones to the compliance officer during your inspection. So we will hear about how a compliance officer prepares for the inspection um, what they notice when they first come on site and the initial safety culture impressions, which characteristics stand out prominently during the walkthrough, and then we'll be sprinkling in a couple of tips and tactics uh, throughout the process. Um, so by being aware of what a compliance officer is looking for when they come to your place of business and implementing some of these best practices, we hope that you can make any future inspections, should they occur, go a little bit smoother. And then we'll save a couple of minutes at the end to take your questions. 
Thank you, Holly. All right, before we start digging into what the compliance officer knows about your facility before the inspection, we'll take just a moment to review what brings OSHA to your site in the first place. Uh, imminent danger, one of the first things up here. Now that's rare, but if a compliance officer sees someone in obvious peril, uh, they are obligated to stop and do an inspection. Now, of course, fatalities, uh, if you have to call one in, that's almost guaranteed to result in an inspection. You also have to report to OSHA hospitalizations, amputations, and loss of an eye. And those are triggers to OSHA of a serious hazard possibility, and they're also likely to lead to an inspection. Now, you probably know complaints may lead to one, or OSHA may follow up from on referrals from other agencies. They may follow up from previous inspections. Uh, and then, of course, in addition to all these things that are triggering events, there are inspections which are programmed. Uh, that means the that OSHA decides to focus on a particular issue or industry might be excavation, might be hearing protection or amputation hazards. Uh, so the agency uses local emphasis programs, national emphasis programs, and even what they call the site specific targeting program. I mentioned injury reporting and illness reporting. Um, you are required to report a fatality within eight hours. And as a reminder, it does not matter what caused the fatality. Could be natural causes, it could be work-related, but you still have to require, uh, you still have to notify OSHA. So if it was a heart attack, you actually still need to call OSHA, that's right in the regulations. Now the requirement for hospitalization is that you must call or submit online uh, when just one employee is hospitalized. Some of you may remember a few years ago, it was three or more employees. Well, now it's just one. And of course, you also have to report an amputation, even if a fingertip, uh, as well as a loss of an eye. And that's within 24 hours. And keep in mind, some states may have more restrictive requirements. California just says immediately, which usually means within eight hours for all of these. Now, Holly told me, actually, she's been on accident investigations that were properly reported under here, but management couldn't understand how OSHA knew about the accident and how they got to the site so quickly. And she said some of them even openly admitted they didn't think OSHA should have been called, even though there's a requirement to do so. Now, with the exception of an imminent danger scenario or, you know, an ongoing catastrophe, you know, you get a fire or explosion in the news. Uh, other than those situations, the, the compliance officer is going to take time to look into your company before the inspection. Now, the type of the accident or the company's NAICS code, it's North American Industry Classification System, your code will help determine the scope of the inspection. Now, OSHA does have compliance directives or CPLs for how to handle certain types of inspections, including the emphasis programs. Now, these are all public. They're available online. So if you want to reference uh, what might apply to your company, what hazards OSHA might be looking for, they can be handy for that. And of course, the company history is a big part of the preparation. Uh, have there been complaints before? Have there been referrals? Have accidents or inspections been conducted in the past? <clears throat> the injuries or illnesses that were present during previous inspections might be a segue into a, a broader inspection once they're on site if it looks like they weren't adequately controlled. Now, I know the OSHA regulations are hundreds of pages and compliance officers are not experts in every page or in all the equipment or hazards that might be used. So before coming on site, some of their preparation is reviewing the company type, 
which gives them a clue of what type of equipment and hazards they're likely to find in that industry or in your facility. So they have a little bit better idea what to expect. So with that, um, once the compliance officer has done a little bit of background, have an idea of what to expect, the inspection does kind of fit officially, excuse me, unofficially begins before that compliance officer ever steps foot on the property. They start to size up the situation um, and they will often take photos from the public way, noting details about the building, the job site, what condition is the workplace in, um, even from quite a distance. Are the grounds kept up? Are there piles of debris? Are there any really obvious hazards that basically anyone can see from a distance? I took careful note of the conditions of areas for employee use. This included the parking lot, the sidewalks, smoking areas, egress, and basically the general upkeep, upkeep of the grounds. If they were well kept, the sidewalks clear, the emergency exits were, were obvious, that gave me a better indication that they do care about their employees and are more likely to keep up with the safety programs. Uh, it is an especially important to note for construction sites. Um, the activities can definitely be seen from quite a distance. Roofers, especially um, any sort of crane activity. My area was a special emphasis program for construction. So anytime we saw cranes or roofers or general work going on, we, had, we were required to stop. Um, while construction companies are harder to look into ahead of time or prior to arrival, the Koshos get a good idea of what's happening before they actually step foot on, on that property. Um, again, those photos from the public way can identify companies, take pictures of trucks, looking at um, license plates in case people decide to scatter as soon as they make themselves known. At <laughs> um, more often than not, as soon as they saw the, the white vehicle and we step out with our hard hat, uh, the contractors often would just scatter. They'd drop their tools and run. <laughs> uh, so once, once OSHA does make themselves known, um, there is a little bit of an expectation for a welcome committee. Um, the inspection is supposed to get up and going within a reasonable time frame, which has been decided to be about an hour. So that means you have to get the appropriate personnel involved as soon as possible. You need to get them on site, get them on the phone. Um, in general industry, the compliance officer will park in the parking lot, go through the visitor entrance, and be met by the receptionist or a phone with a list of numbers. Part of their pre-inspection preparation is getting a list of names of higher-ups, um, getting cor corporate contact information in case there's not someone readily available to help once they arrive. Um, when they speak to the receptionist or whoever it may be, they explain why they're on site, show them their credentials, and ask to see the person in charge. That might be the plant manager, safety representative, someone from human resources. 
Um, but that's, that's basically when that one hour clock starts ticking. The recommendation here is to be polite and transparent with who is being contacted and their status. Uh, from the lobby, we typically would get led to a conference room, a place to spread out and prepare for folks as they, they filter in. Um, I will tell you a funny story of this kind of going sideways. Um, one of my mentors shared a story about coming on site for an accident and met the receptionist and said he needed to speak to the person in charge. She said the plant manager was in a meeting. He'd be back in a couple of minutes. Just sit tight. 15 minutes turned into 30 minutes. 30 minutes turned into an hour. And he finally went back to the desk and asked her, what's going on? Um, and that's when she admitted that the plant manager bolted the second that uh, the compliance officer arrived. I can tell you that once that inspection did get started, um, it was probably a little more thorough than it would have been initially um, because there was that lack of respect starting up front. Um, my favorite part of that is he stood outside and asked folks, who, who, who are you? What's your job? Because the plant manager was gone and um, he asked a nicely dressed gentleman that said he was an operator and the guy behind him said, oh no, you're the CEO of the company. Uh, so they will find a way to start the process, um, but I'm sure you, you can figure out how the inspection went from there. In construction, uh, contacting, or I'm sorry, in construction, this process can look a little different. Uh, there's not as much preparation ahead of time, so contacting the appropriate party can be just a little more difficult. Asking workers who they work for ends in them saying, I don't know, or I work for John. Well, who's John? They have no idea. They don't know his last name. They don't know the company that he works for, um, and they have no idea how to get in contact with the general contractor. There are ways around this. Obviously, there are permits posted that usually have the GC's contact information. Um, it's important to prepare your employees for who to contact if someone of authority shows up or if there's an emergency, who do you call? Um, so both with construction and general industry, you need to know who your points of contact are. Who are your key players? Um, you want to know this ahead of time so there's not time scrambling and an irritated kosho waiting to start the inspection. Murphy's Law seems to summon OSHA at the worst of times, typically when management is on a retreat or the owner is on vacation and no one knows who to contact. Um, as we mentioned previously, this, this first interaction um, starts to set the tone for how the rest of the inspection goes. Um, so you come on site and the roofers refuse to talk to anyone. Um, that doesn't mean the inspection's not going to progress. That means that the general contractor has to get involved um, more and they can give permission for the entire site and all employees on it. All right. Now, part of the OSHA Act, of course, says that the COSHO, the safety, Compliance Safety Health Officer, can enter without delay 
to inspect and investigate working conditions, and even privately interview owners, management, and employees. Now, this is all should be done in a reasonable manner. Of course, it is well within the company's right to refuse entry to a compliance officer, but that may come at a cost. Uh, the COSHO will come back with a warrant. They're going to get a warrant. And frankly, when they come back, they might bring a few friends with them. Uh, so the circumstances in which entry is denied can also, of course, raise some suspicion about why you're making them jump through extra hoops. And of course, it may result in a more thorough inspection. We also want to point out that interfering with an inspection can actually land the interferer in prison for up to three years or a $5,000 fine. Now, interference could be something as simple as the employer's refusal to permit the walk around or examination of records that are essential to the inspection, maybe prohibiting taking of essential photographs or video recordings, uh, attempting to prohibit or block an inspection of a particular part of the premises, uh, not allowing private employee interviews. Obviously, with management interviews, you can have someone else there, but you have to allow private employee uh, or prohibiting the attachment of sampling devices or taking samples. Now, those probably aren't going to result in three years in prison, but you know that's a potential maximum. And of course, interference could also be something like uh, forcible resistance, opposition, even assaulting or threatening the officer uh, in the course of performing their official duties. Now, as Holly was saying, you have about an hour to get everybody together. And once everyone arrives and they're made aware of the inspection, the compliance officer will begin the opening conference. Now, this includes presenting credentials. They're going to gather some company demographics and background. They'll walk you through the inspection process and explain why they're there. As she said, in construction, this might be done in a construction trailer or even on the hood of someone's truck. So it feels a little less formal rather than in a conference room. Now, OSHA will ask permission to open the inspection. And if permission's denied, as we said, they'll go get a warrant and they may come back in, in, in numbers. But the COSHO uses this time, uh, the opening conference, to verify the information they gathered pre-inspection research. They want to fill in any gaps or missing pieces. They also want to identify the point of contact. There's going to be future correspondence. And who should all that be going through and beyond the initial inspection? Now, having a good idea of the overall processes happening can also help. Uh, the inspector is going to ask what processes you have, like what raw materials are coming in, what products are being shipped out, and what are the common hazards known of that. In fact, uh, giving or providing a map or site layout can help their understanding of where operations and processes are happening. Uh, other questions asked might be in regard to uh, what's the medical care available to employees? What's your process for getting care? Is there an on-site clinic or a designated first aid responders? Do you know how far it is to the nearest hospital? And of course, even things like the number of employees in the facility and company-wide is important. Your employee count can determine whether the company is eligible for a reduction in penalties should any citations be issued. And of course, OSHA may ask, you know, who else is on site? Do you have contractors doing work? Maybe you've got HVAC work being done. Do you have temporary employees or temps from a staffing agency? Things like that. Now, if your company is required to keep injury and illness logs, the OSHA 300 and related, they will ask for those records for the last three full years in addition to the current year. 
And you'll have four hours to get those forms to the co-show from the time they ask. Keep in mind, they may let that four-hour timeline lapse without mentioning it again, <laughs> but that can be a, a citation too, a failure to provide the information. Now, the co is going to review these logs to see if there are any trends in injury types for the last couple of years. Another important detail, do you have a safety and health program? You know, something like that can help. Like Holly was saying, they're looking at your overall company culture. And of course, they may also ask about your posters, your labor posters. They want to make sure that the required posters are up and in a prominent location for employees to see. That includes the, you know, job safety is the law poster. And of course, this time of year, the OSHA 300A, which has to be up from February 1st to April 30th. You know, while we're on the subject of injury and illness logs, our safety management suite has an incident center that allows you to easily track incidents, near misses, and even property damage. Uh, we're going to put up a poll for you to select if free access to this. You'll be able to analyze your incident trends through charts, uh, create privacy case logs, create your sharps logs if you need it. It's a great way to maintain your required and non-required injury and illness records in one place. So if you'd like free access to the incident center and the other tools in safety management suite, just let us know by selecting your results on the screen here. And along with that access, we will also provide you our free OSHA inspections white paper. And I do want to take a moment to remind everyone that we are getting a few questions in. I can see there's a few coming in in the log. Uh, if you have questions at any time, you can submit them at any time. And again, Holly and I will be taking your questions at the end. We're not going to try and work too many in because we want to make sure we get through the key stuff, but keep sending in your questions as needed. All right. Next, we get to the why are we here portion of the opening conference. We kind of mentioned that briefly. The OSHA says why they, why they came on site. Uh, now, if there was a reported injury or a fatality, you might have been able to see the inspection coming and expect the inspector to show up. But if there was a complaint, maybe, or a referral from another agency, or even if you're just part of an emphasis program, uh, the visit might be unexpected. Now, if attendees are a little bit upset, it can make it difficult for the co-show to gather information. So because of this, the details of what brought them on site might be delayed until after some of the other uh, information gathering in the opening conference. Uh, this allows the co-show to gather that company demographic and other information to start the conversation. Um, I think Holly would say if he started out saying we're here because one of your employees complained, that tends to throw people's minds off a little bit and that's what they focus on. Now again, if the inspection is response to an injury or a death, the next bit of information gathering is what happened, right? What happened? How did this accident happen? And a way to contact the employee is going to be important, might even be next of kin, but especially if the person is not on site, maybe they're uh, still at home recovering. More often than not, uh, in general industry during an inspection, OSHA is going to look at your hazard communication and lockout tagout programs if you have them. In construction, they're most likely going to look at your fall protection programs and your requirements for subcontractors. And again, if the inspection was prompted in response to an accident, uh, the investigation documentation will be requested. Hopefully you've investigated the accident, but that could be requested as well. 
And of course, for accidents or complaints or referrals, um, those will get requests for any programs related to them. So if you have any uh, related program to the complaint, they might be looking for something about that if it was, say, a, a machine guarding complaint. All right, I'm going to turn it back to Holly a little bit to talk about the walk around. So thank you, Ed. Uh, so before stepping out into the work area to begin the walk around inspection, a general courtesy would be to make sure that you the compliance officer is aware of any of the PPE requirements to go into the area specified, um, whether this is from the accident referral complaint and make sure that everyone is accompanying them on the inspection is properly protected as well. You don't want to tell the compliance officer that earplugs are required and then none of your team wears them themselves. Um, it is also important to decide who is going to accompany them during that walk around inspection. More than two or three key people can make for a really long day for all parties involved, especially in noisy environments, having people being around and having to repeat just elongates the process. So if there are important people that you would like to have nearby, but doesn't make sense to have them go through, you can have them on call or just make sure that they keep their email open so that they can come in and out as the process progresses. Um, it is also recommended that you have at least one person taking notes of everything that the co-show is explaining um, and so that there's no surprises at the end. Um, one interesting tidbit is in my career on the other side, so before I was in compliance, I had always heard that if OSHA was on site to inspect a specific process, uh, that you should take them the long way around the facility or whichever way has kind of the less, the less serious hazards or things that would stand out. <laughs> um, my trainers, um, a lot of my mentors and some of the higher, higher ups that I spoke with confirmed that this really is preferred. Uh, as compliance officers, we had an obligation to address any of the plain view hazards. They could be there to inspect uh, machine guarding, but if they see a forklift operator without a seatbelt or an unsecured load, that they would be obligated to stop. Uh, the co-shows priority, their number one priority is always gonna be their own safety. Um, so, general guidance and making sure that they're not going to step into a hazardous area without knowing ahead of time. Um, and you should also know that a compliance officer is not going to ask an employee to do something unsafe. Um, they're not going to put them at risk. So this is an opportunity for them to ask questions um, about the process, about what they're stepping into. And it's in your best interest to speak up and prevent them from going too far. So in the walk around, we stepped out onto the shop floor um, or onto a job site. The first three things that stood out to me as a compliance officer were the general housekeeping, the noise levels, and the general employee behavior. Housekeeping is, is the workplace clean or does the amount of debris or lack of cleanliness pose a hazard? 
Is there water debris on the floor? Are materials stored in such a way that they could fall over? Or are there chemicals being used without protection? <coughs> Excuse me. There is a big difference between a messy process that has regular cleaning uh, versus a shop floor that doesn't make housekeeping a priority. In my experience, it also shows the employees or the employer's level of investment in creating a healthy and safe workplace for their employees. Uh, the next thing that really stood out too is going to be the noise, right? Is the noise overwhelming? Are people wearing hearing protection? Should they be wearing hear protection? Um, a lot of times when it was very loud, it made interviews and having conversations very difficult. So we would have to stop the inspection, go to a quiet area, discuss, and then go back out onto the floor. <clears throat> um, and it also gives me a good idea if I have to raise my voice above a normal speaking level that I'm probably going to need to take a look at any industrial hygiene noise sampling records. The next thing that stood out a lot for me was employee behavior. This says a lot about how the inspection goes. Did employees totally scatter when a management walked out on the floor? Um, or are they continuing their work as normal? Are they wearing any of the required PPE that they told me as the compliance officer I needed before stepping out on the floor? Um, also, it's important to see who management is trying to get you not to speak to, and also looking for folks who are anxious to share their wisdom with OSHA. Um, it should be noted, uh, specifically with, with my district, um, there's no way that we could have snuck up on someone without them knowing who we were. Um, when we got out of our vehicles, we had vests, we had hard hats, safety glasses. We made sure it was very clear that it was OSHA showing up. And so that gave people an opportunity to decide if they wanted to speak to us um, or not, because they could frankly see us from a mile away. All right. Now, if a compliance officer asks to see something unrelated to the accident or maybe the equipment that they came to inspect, they might be quietly or subtly expanding the scope. Now, you may be able to redirect them maybe by saying, well, we can come back to that later, but we wanted to catch this employee before he goes on break. And maybe you'll come back to it later or maybe you won't. Uh, once the opening conference ended, the meat of the inspection is this walk around. And so the inspector is probably going to start taking pictures immediately. If you see them taking photos, you should also take photos. The inspector will not be able to share their photos with you. Uh, and having your own picture can help later if there appears to be a violation where you might have evidence showing that no, there actually was not. Uh, along the same lines, if the inspector stops to take measurements, document that as well. Uh, having these photos and measurements can help you successfully argue your case later, since you may be able to show that maybe a hazard wasn't there or wasn't as severe as you previously thought. Uh, one of the vital parts of the inspection, and again, where a lot of the information comes up, is the employee interviews. Now, a company might have, for example, very extensive training programs and a top-of-the-line tracking system, but it really boils down to, you know, how does the safety training, the programs, and the culture, how does that roll down at the employee level? So, co-shows are going to ask to interview 
any victims or witnesses to an accident. So those are interviews. They'll also want to talk to other employees who may do the same job or even just work in the same area. Uh, sometimes uh, the COSHO may ask the employer to choose employees for interviews, you know, not, not knowing who works in the area. Or sometimes the COSHO may pick some at random because they can see them there. Uh, but written statements will be taken as needed and other interviews may happen throughout the inspection based on the inspector's observations. Now there's no limit to the number of interviews that can be held. The goal here is to understand the expectations of management and how safety and health are handled at the employee level. Again, employees could be asked questions about their role, the hazards in their work, and their training and how effective it was. And you know, some employees talk more than others, but multiple interviews help paint a bigger picture. Uh, we mentioned management is not allowed to be present during the employee interview. Uh, you can have someone else present during a management interview, but employee interviews are private. So the COSHO will usually make sure the employee is not only out of earshot of others, but also out of visual sight, if you can get a conference room or something. Uh, this helps put the employee at ease so they can maybe talk a little more openly. And uh, the COSHO explains to them that this conversation is private. They are protected from retaliation under the Whistleblower Act. And the employee, and of course, you as the employer, you cannot compel the employee to discuss their conversation with OSHA. Uh, you can't pressure them into what did you guys talk about? Now, of course, if the employee chooses, they can share pieces or all of that conversation, but you can't compel that from them. Now, em employee interviews may last a few minutes or it could take quite a while. Um, the inspector wants to establish the employee's position at the company, how long they've been there, what hazards are they aware of. Uh, the major part of the interview uh, is going to be determining if they have adequate training required for their role. And training questions, they're not going to be limited to, have you been trained? Because that's a, that's a yes, no. We want to dig into the employee understanding of the process and the resources available. Uh, for example, if it's someone involved in lockout tagout, they might ask how often they get trained, when did they last receive it, who provided it, um, are the periodic inspections getting done, uh, can you walk me through the lockout tagout process for this machine, for example, if this is an authorized employee. Then again, some employees talk more than others, but doing multiple interviews helps paint a bigger picture and it lets them know how safety translates through the company. And I can tell you, you know, if someone says, yeah, I went through hazard communication training, okay, where would you get a safety data sheet? If they don't know how to retrieve one, it looks like a pretty big failure in the training. So the COSHO may request training records of any employees, of course, involved in an accident and anyone who was interviewed. And if an employee was injured, let's say operating a boom lift, despite having documented training records, well, then maybe the training wasn't sufficient or as good as it seemed. Holly actually said the most common citations she wrote were around insufficient training. In many cases, she said the employers had a training program, but employees were either insufficiently trained or in some cases they didn't even know about the program, maybe they didn't remember. So the goal here for the inspector is to establish whether there's that disconnect between what management thinks is happening and what's actually happening on the shop floor. 
Now, we mentioned that managers can be interviewed throughout the inspection, of course. They may not call this a formal interview. You know, you're talking to the OSHA inspector. That's an interview. So this is the COSHO checking management's involvement. Are they aware of injuries? Aware of accidents? How familiar are they with safety programs? This is also an opportunity for the compliance officer to assess you know, the upper half of the company safety culture, not just how it trickled down to employees, but if they're talking to a, a supervisor, for example, that's an interview. Uh, topics of discussion are often, again, training programs, uh, corrective actions taken following an accident, things along that nature. Now, it is a reference point for the COSHO to compare what happens on the employee level with the walk around and the employee interviews. Uh, the employer's knowledge of a hazard, of course, <clears throat> is critical to being able to cite a violation. You know, if someone's aware of a hazard that wasn't addressed, that can get you into the willful rage. Now, often managers, she said, can talk about how great their safety program is, but that enthusiasm starts to fall short where it really matters down at the employee level. And for example, a lockout tagout program that upper management isn't aware of doesn't mean much either if the lockout tagout trainer isn't aware of its existence or if the program hasn't been dusted off and shown around for maybe 20 years or more. Uh, thank you, Ed. Um, I just want to add one thing based on a question um, about employee interviews. Uh, someone asked if it's union, can they have a union representative in an employee interview? And yes, they can. Um, so with that, we will go into kind of the process of wrapping up the inspection. Inspections can last a couple of hours or may span over many days, depending on the scope. Um, but each day that the compliance officers are on site, they should end it with a general wrap-up, what they saw, what they need. Um, they can ask any questions about what they saw on the floor. This is a great time to clarify. Um, one of my favorite things is an employee telling me about they got trained by T-Bone, but didn't know their actual name. So the wrapping up process was great for figuring out who that person was. Um, but once the inspection is wrapped up, um, whether it be one day or many, it's going to end with a closing conference. Uh, this will, this conference typically is the folks that started in the opening conference and you sit down and you discuss the process of issuing citations and penalties should they be re required. It was really common in my area to say should citations and penalties be issued because once we see these problems and we take pictures and we document them, we'd go back to the office and a lot of times we'd have to investigate further. And sometimes while it was a problem, um, we did not have enough evidence to write the citation. So it might be a recommendation later on. Uh, the closing conference also includes discussing the employer's rights, their responsibilities, how to request an informal conference or how to contest a citation and or penalty. <clears throat> the COSHO that typically does your inspection is going to be your point of contact throughout the majority of this process. Um, it, unfortunately, your contact with them typically doesn't end the day that the inspection wraps up. Uh, so once the inspection ends, you will hear from them um, 
when you request, they might request additional documentation. Um, once you receive your packet of citation and penalties, you have abatement dates um, that you're required to meet. Uh, so if they're nice enough, they might follow up with you before those dates pass and remind you that you can request an informal conference or generally they are going to be your point of contact to ask questions throughout this process from, from start until when the inspection is finally closed out. Um, so throughout the process, because we've kind of covered the start to finish, but there are some important things that uh, I like to I like to address when talking to folks about the OSHA inspections. The first thing is if you see an employee doing something that they shouldn't be doing, or they're not wearing their safety glasses, but they've got them on their head, it's all right to go ahead and correct it without drawing much attention to it. Um, the last thing you want to do is say, man, that guy never wears his PPE. That, that it admits guilt, gives the compliance officer employer knowledge, and helps them write a really easy citation. If it is not an obvious or systematic issue, correct it, move on, and it may or may not get mentioned again. It is also worth noting that not all of the questions in the opening conference or in the inspection are going to be straightforward. Some compliance officers are more forward than others, um, as each of us have had their own style, and they still have their own style. Um, but by answering questions that you're not clear on, you may agree to more than you initially thought. These questions can be directed at management, HR, employees. Uh, They're often open-ended and they can lead to more talking than necessary because people have a tendency to overshare. For example, um, a compliance officer might indirectly ask you to expand the scope of an inspection by asking to see a piece of equipment that's not related to the accident. Uh, obviously, it's going to show good faith that you agree. Uh, it may not be required, and this can vary from state to state to federal OSHA. Um, but you can always ask um, if this is mandatory or if we can come back to it. And if you aren't sure of what they're asking for, um, instead of blindly answering, ask for a little bit of clarification. Um, I can't tell you how important it is for you to ask questions during the inspection. Um, it can vary from, from kosho to kosho, but these questions um, help the compliance officer understand what you're working with and you can get a better idea of what their expectations are and you can cover a lot of gaps um, and knowledge by having a quick discussion about it instead of them writing a citation for something that was not 100% clear. Um, in my district, especially, um, one really common tactic is throughout the process is asking questions and then having long, awkward pauses afterwards. Um, <laughs> I know this sounds silly, but it's important to write out those pauses whenever possible. It gives the compliance officer time to take notes, 
you're telling them lots of information. They need to make sure that they're taking accurate um, documentation. But that time frame also uh, is used by some compliance officers to hope people keep talking. Um, in those pauses, I've had vice presidents or other people high up in the company use those pauses to complain about employees' behaviors, about how they should have been safer, or I've even had them boast about firing employees who got hurt, um, even though they weren't trained. Those are good tips, Holly. Thank you. All right. We're still wrapping up a little bit now. Of course, we want to say co-shows are bound by internal rules and processes. Uh, OSHA does publish the field operations manual and all of the directives we mentioned, CPLs online. These are great resources for understanding the inspection process. Uh, in particular, the, the directives provide specific steps for how the co-shows handle different types of inspections. And in fact, Kali said employers have asked to review the emphasis program documentation during inspections because they do help outline the scope and you know, things that they're going to be looking for. Now, these directives are the COSHO's resource for topics they might not be familiar with. I said they don't know all 500 whatever pages of OSHA regs, but, uh, and a lot of them even then provide if-then statements for common situations uh, or even non-typical situations to help the COSHO determine the correct action. And those are on OSHA's website if you wanna check them out. Now, to give you some closing thoughts, we ask that you prepare for an inspection by preparing yourself and your employees for that. Uh, a positive attitude regarding the inspection and a warm welcome you know, sets the stage and goes a long way. Again, take pictures, take notes, especially whatever the inspector takes. Um, correct hazards where you can throughout the process. It, it could save you a violation or at least some abatement paperwork. Use your informal conference once you get a citation packet. That's your opportunity to provide more documentation or clarification to the area director. Uh, that could reduce your penalty or even remove a citation altogether. Now, positive safety culture starts at the top and works its way down to employees, but we said there's sometimes a disconnect. Uh, throughout this whole process, again, professional courtesy and transparency go a long way in your interactions with OSHA. Might even give you a little more wiggle room if needed. And we were saying this process can seem long and bureaucratic, but, you know, compliance officers, they're doing their jobs just as your employees are doing their jobs. Uh, of course, some people are easier to deal with than others, and an inspection can be a tense or stressful time. But as Kosho, Holly said, she never knew what she was walking into when stepping on site. She said more often than not, it was professional courtesy, but occasionally you'd be meet with aggression, disdain, frustration, and the process became a lot more painful than it, than it should have been. Uh, and the inspections made that more difficult. Now, as professionals in the safety world, we're all here for the good of our employees, right? We're trying to keep everyone safe. Safety is making sure they go home no worse for the wear than when they got to work. And so Holly, Holly and I ask you to keep that in mind when you're working with your friendly neighborhood OSHA compliance officer. Now, we hope that you never have to go through an OSHA inspection, but if you do, we hope you're prepared and that we've given you some tools, some insights. I know I like Holly's stories. I think they're great uh, to help you get ready. 
Many of these tools and resources are available in safety management suites. So if you didn't elect for complimentary access, we're giving you one more opportunity. Uh, this JJ Keller safety management suite gives you the benefits of things like audits and inspection checklists that you can customize. You can print them out, assign responsibilities. So uh, I'm gonna ask to launch a poll again here. And if you'd like complimentary access to the tools and resources and safety management suite, use the poll on your screen. And again, we'll send you a copy of our OSHA inspections white paper. Uh, and I also wanna point out when you get safety management suite, you get access to experts like Holly and I and several other people for the questions. So if we don't get to your questions today, um, you know, sign up for this and you can send us your question and we'll answer absolutely free. So with that, I'm going to wrap things back up and say, all right, are we ready to take questions? I see there's a bunch out there. We are, Ed, and thank you so much. Thanks, Holly. Thanks, Ed, for your insights today on this important topic. Just a reminder for our attendees today, we might not get to every question, but the good news is that all unanswered questions will be forwarded along to Holly and Ed. Uh, before we start the q and I want everyone uh, to know about an evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. Uh, the survey will open in a different screen after the webinar. Your input is really important to us because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. Now let's get to a bunch of those questions. So first of all, I want to start with Holly. And Holly, we've had several questions come in, uh, Kevin and Michael and Nicholas, asking about workplaces that have classified information or proprietary uh, processes and asking about um, is it, is it reasonable for a co-show to take photos? Can, can photos be denied in those areas where there's a proprietary process going on or classified information if it's a federal workplace? Um, so that is, that is always an interesting question. Um, as far as the experience that I had in those situations, um, we were still required to take the necessary photographs specific to the accident um, but in our systems and in court cases, those were marked as trade secret or as classified. And so that they, they were heavily guarded. So while we were able to see them, they could not be shared in the event that news article, uh, a news outlet um, requested information on a case, none of that information could be shared. So it was only used specific to determining violations, um, and then they're destroyed after the fact once the case is closed. Okay, great. Um, Ed, for you, uh, Gary would like to know if, if an employee is treated at an ER but uh, not hospitalized, does OSHA need to be notified? Uh Usually, no. So what the standard for hospitalization, and we get this one a lot, a hospitalization means that the employee was formerly admitted to the hospital for care. Uh, it doesn't always involve an overnight stay, although that's usually often a case. But if it's overnight just for observation, they might not be admitted. But the point is, if someone goes in for a couple of stitches, for example, probably one of the more common ones, that's outpatient treatment. So even though you went to the hospital, you saw the doctor, you got your stitches, you were not admitted to the hospital. That's just ER. And that type of hospitalization, that is, that is not a hospitalization per OSHA's definition. So you would not have to call in on OSHA on that one. So I hope that clears it up. Like I said, we, we do get that one quite often. Okay. Thank you very much, Ed. Holly, the next question for you, uh, Bob would like to know, with OSHA complaints, is it customary that OSHA will first contact the employer by letter to request background information about a specific concern? 
So that that depends on the type of complaint. Um, and I can only speak to the processes um, from my, my state plan. Um, but typically when employers were contacted, uh, when we received a complaint, um, if it was a severe enough complaint, then there was no contact and we just went out um, and just opened the inspection. Um, however, if it was a little muddy or seemed like something less specific, um, my district supervisor would reach out to the company, request documentation, and they might be able to close that complaint based on the response from the employer. However, if the response isn't received in a timely manner or is insufficient, then the district supervisor may make the call to uh, open an inspection. All right, great, thank you. Uh, Ed, next question for you. Uh, David would like to know, if there is a fatality offsite, uh, for example, someone driving a vehicle for work purposes or visiting a customer, would that warrant an inspection for the employer, even if it wasn't on their site? Uh, it might warrant an inspection, I suppose, but it's probably not going to trigger one because normally you don't have to call those in. I know federal OSHA says that fatalities which occur as a result of a motor vehicle accident away from the facility don't have to be called in. They're still, they can still be work-related and recordable, like a salesperson traveling to visit a customer. But I think they don't have to be called in unless it happened in a work zone, like a construction work zone on the highway. So if it was just a, a unfortunate accident, I, I believe those don't have to be called in. Now, again, it could end up on your log. It could end up on the news or something like that. And, and I suppose an inspector could show up. But I, I know maybe Holly can add to this. I wouldn't think that a vehicle accident 50 miles away necessarily indicates a, a hazard at your facility. Um, I, I don't know, driver fatigue, something like that. Holly, do you have anything you want to throw on there? No, you are, you're right in the ballpark. It's more of a DOT um, mm. type issue, um, but it is worth noting. And even if it is not involved with OSHA, um, you should still take actions within your company to try to mitigate that from happening again. Um. Great, thank you for that. And uh, Holly, next question for you. Amar would like to know, does OSHA carry out planned inspections annually, even if there are no triggers for an inspection? Um, so as part of the general ledger, um, basically all the businesses within your state or district, um, there are certain things that bring companies higher up, either based on their NAICS code, um, maybe, and I know we're not talking about prior history or things, but sometimes in companies are just randomly pulled in that general ledger and that can trigger an inspection. And so that would fall under the programmed and they are able to open it at that point. Um, depending on the area, um, I know in my district, we were a little short-staffed at times. And so most of our, our visits were reactive and not the proactive side, but I know that is not the case everywhere. Um, and it just depends on where you are and if your name's called. <laughs> okay, great. Ed, next question for you. Um, George would like to know, do I need to provide a translator at a facility where uh, fewer employees speak English? Uh, potentially, yeah. Um, if, if uh, workers are given instructions in a language other than English, then training probably needs to be provided in a language other than English, obviously. Now, I don't know 
if you're asking like if the OSHA inspector wanted to interview one of those employees, I'm, I'm going to pass that one back to Holly because obviously, you know, about training has to be delivered in a language the employee can understand. But I'm not sure how Holly would handle it if she said, you know, I wanted to interview this person and it turns out that person doesn't speak English very well. Uh, we had access to 24-hour translators, um, so we would call a translator service on our phone, explain who we are, and then um, they would translate for us back and forth. So that wasn't um, the employer's obligation in that case? Correct. It, that was on us. But again, I don't know how that is in other states. Okay. Thank you for that explanation. Um, Ed, I wanted to, to uh, share a question with you from Brandy, who wants to know, does reporting an amputation depend on how a physician writes up the diagnosis? Let's say, for example, laceration versus amputation. That, that is correct. That's exactly it. It depends on how the doctor describes it. Um, OSHA said that an amputation could, for example, be a fingertip even without bone if the doctor described it as an amputation. Now, I've had people tell me, safety people say, kind of wipe their foreheads and go, whew, a little bit because they said, no doctor should call that an amputation if it's just the very tip of the finger, for example, because that kind of thing does happen. But yeah, otherwise, if the doctor writes it up as an amputation, then you do have to do that. So it could be like the tip of an ear, for example, might have been amputated. Doesn't mean there was bone involved, but it might still be an amputation. Okay, thank you for that. Ed. And Holly, I know you, you answered the question about a union uh, worker uh, requesting a steward uh, be present at an interview, and, and that is okay. We've had several questions come in on, on the private interview uh, topic, and, and a couple for you, uh, Holly. Can um, a worker um, request a management person be there? And also, can an employee decline an interview with a co-show? So an employee can decline an interview. Um, that's especially more common if it's just a randomly picked employee. However, if they are a witness to an accident, then in the event this goes to court, they could be subpoenaed. Um, so yes, they can decline, but they might have to share anyway. Um, as far as having management in the room, um, the way we handled it was we just never let management be a part of that interview because it can be an intimidation factor. Um, it might be that the employee was told that they had to have the manager there. So we might break it up into two parts, talk to them alone, and then maybe talk to them with the manager. But um, it was a priority to get them without anyone else influencing the conversation. Okay, great. We have time for one more question today, folks. And, and Ed, I'll ask you this question from Susanna and, and a couple other folks asked about this. Um, if I'm the general contractor, but the inspection is focused on one of the subcontractors, can I be part of the inspection or how does that dynamic work on a job site? Oh, you know, I may have to involve Holly in that one too. I know that uh, <laughs> part of the situation, I believe, Holly, is who controls the hazard. So, well, so on construction sites, especially general contractors, they are, um, they are effectively the controlling contractor. Um, and they are responsible for giving permission to be on site as well as um, there's a really big emphasis in construction because there are so many companies that are kind of left to run as they, as they would like. Um, and it puts not only the employees of the subcontractors at risk, but other subcontractors and general contractors on that site. So 
in our area, especially, um, the general contractor was a mandatory, mandatory part of that investigation because the COSHA was looking at, is the contractor controlling the site? Are they contributing to anything? Are they making sure that they're enforcing general safety rules? Um, and it was a really big emphasis that general contractors be cited as well as the subcontractors so that they are more encouraged to enforce safety rules and regulations on all of their job sites instead of hiring the cheapest, fastest guys that aren't gonna take any consideration for safety. Great, appreciate that explanation, Holly. Uh, unfortunately, folks, we have run out of time today. Uh, we thank you all for attending today's presentation and we appreciate you taking some time to share your feedback via our survey. A special thank you goes out today to our terrific presenters, Holly Pups and Ed Zaleski, and the entire team from our sponsor over at JJ Keller. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day.